Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Since I didn't prepare a message while on vacation, I asked Pastor Aaron if he would speak this week. Would you give him a big hand as he comes and brings the word this this evening? All right. Well, I want to do something before we get into this that we did this morning. I felt like uh, we were supposed to do and um, saw really great results from this. Um, So I believe it's a God thing. So let me just ask you a question. Are there any of you in here tonight who are, you're just in a place where you just feel like you need some strength? And that could be physical strength. Maybe you just feel fatigued and weak. That could be emotional strength. That could be mental strength. Uh, You just need some strength. Well, I want to go to the Lord and believe that we will receive some strength. You know, the Word of God says that uh, God is the strength of our life. I don't know how much clearer that can get. If there's strength in our life, it's God. God says that, or the Word of God says that in His presence is fullness of joy, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so it's, you know, and you guys know Isaiah chapter 40 says that they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so we could keep going and going and going with what the Bible says about you having strength. The bottom line is this, it's God's will for you to be strengthened and not be weak and not feel fatigued and not feel overwhelmed and not feel weak. So what I want to do is let's close our eyes. We're going to pray for a second. Lord God, we just put ourselves in a posture right now to receive from your Holy Spirit. Lord God, we open ourselves up to you. We yield ourselves to you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And we know, Lord, that it is your will, it's your desire, it's your delight for us to have strength, to have boldness, to have courage, to have ability to face life in your name and in your power, Lord God. Your word says it's not by our might or by our power, but by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, like your word says, out of our innermost being, that living water would flow up from inside of us and bring strength to each person here in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that they would begin to feel that strength welling up even right now in Jesus' name, that this feeling of weakness, this feeling of being overwhelmed, of, of trying to keep their head above water would begin to subside and they would begin to feel a boldness and a strength build up on the inside of them right now. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive it in the name of Jesus and we thank you for it, God. Hallelujah. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, you are our strength. Hallelujah. All right. Well, the last time that I spoke, um, which was a month or two ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was a uh, landmark weekend at Journey Church because I was told that 
I set the record for the longest sermon ever preached in the history of the church. And uh, I don't know if that's something I'm supposed to be proud of or ashamed of. I don't know. But what I want to say is this, is I feel like maybe I need to bring a little bit of a balance tonight. And so here's what I'm going to pledge to you. There's no funny videos. There's no uh, goofy stories from my childhood or from Pastor Sean's childhood uh, or anything like that. We are going to hit the ground running. We're going to see what the Word of God says about this simple subject and we're going to focus on it because I believe God does have something to say tonight. And I just want to dig into that and get that out. Let me say this, though. This thing we're getting ready to talk about, if you are not doing this, and you're going to find out what it is, and you start doing it tonight, this will change your life. This will change your life. It may not change your circumstances. It may not change your situation. But it will change the way you see your circumstance. It'll change the way you see your situation. And in, re- in response, it will change your life. I know that many of you are facing different things right now. I know a lot of stories going on in here. It's kind of hard to get up here and talk about this without thinking about specific things. But I believe this is a word out of the Word of God for you guys that applies to everybody. And if you will apply it, it will change your life. So I'm making you that pledge. So let's jump right in. Uh, Let's go to Psalms 91. And uh, I notice I did not say Psalms 91 verse something or other, because we're going to just look at Psalms 91, because the entire chapter basically deals with what we're going to get into here tonight. So I'm going to read through this. And then when we get near the end of the chapter, I want to have you read along with me, because I think it's important. So Let's start off right at the beginning, Psalms 91. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge." His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand. It will not come near you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, or plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways." In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You'll tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you'll trample underfoot. Now these last three verses, read these along with me if you would, starting in 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's a wonderful chapter full of a lot of promises. And uh, I want to point something out that uh, if you look at that and you think, well, that's not, doesn't seem very realistic. You know, if, if all of that were true, then we would never have any trouble, right? But notice it says... I will be with him in trouble. 
So you know what that tells me? There will be times when God will deliver you out of trouble, and there will be times where God will be with you in trouble. But either way, God will be with you, and that makes all the difference. But these promises, these promises are not unconditional. And that's something that is extremely important to, uh, to make note of. Now, God's love is unconditional, okay? God's love for you is not based on anything you do. It's not based on how good you are or how bad, or how bad you are, anything you've done. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. His love for you is unconditional. But these promises in Psalms 91 apply to a certain person, a certain kind of person. And that person is found in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. It starts with that statement, with that sentence, and everything that follows that applies to that person. Now, the wonderful thing about that is that that he who dwells can be anybody. God is no respecter of persons when it comes to who might, who might be able to dwell in the secret place. It could be you. It could be me. It could be anybody. But it is the person that chooses to do that. And so it's a, condi- it's a conditional statement. It's kind of a, it's an if-then statement. And I love if-then statements. I like cause and effect, you know. If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, then this, 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 God shows his strength in your life in all these different ways. And let's just look real quickly at some of those ways. Uh, Verse 3, it says, he shall deliver you. Verse 4, it says, he shall cover you. Verse 5, it says, you shall not be afraid. If, If the only promise in Psalms 91 was just that, it's worth all of it, isn't it? I mean, I think most people face fear in some form or another every single day. And if you could live a life free of fear in all of its different forms, that's a wonderful thing. He, you shall not be afraid. All the way down at verse 10, it says, no evil will befall you. Verse 11 says, he will give his angels charge over you. So you have a regiment of angels that has been given an assignment to, to, to be a security force around you. That's their job. That's what they do. I mean, we could just gloss over that like that's no big deal. But you know, if you read in the Old Testament, one angel took out thousands of people in, in a story in the Old Testament. And it says that he gives his angels charge over you. So even though you can't see what's happening in the Spirit, God has moved mountains to make your security and your peace a priority. So, uh, and then, of course, it, it, it winds up with this statement, with long life, he will satisfy you. And I love that. So this, uh, this whole thing, Psalms 91, all of these promises are kind of wrapped up in the idea of God's secret place basically promises us security, security. And 
that's something I think, you know, we can't take that for granted. In fact, the word shadow, where it says, you know, he who dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That word shadow in the Hebrew means defense and protection. And so you're getting the personal attention of defense and protection from Almighty God. And that's a major thing. You know, we're not designed to be able to navigate life uh, on our own apart from the strength and the favor and the power of God. We don't have what it takes. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how much tenacity you've got. I don't care how much of a bulldog attitude you've got. Eventually, if you're on your own, if you're detached from God, from the presence of God, from the power of God, you will run out of fuel, you'll run out of strength, and you'll run off the tracks. And, you know, just try it and you'll see. We were designed to be in communion with God and get our strength, our power, our purpose, and our protection from him. So listen, again, let me say this one more time. If you're struggling with fear, anxiety, sickness, depression, in an ongoing way, this is for you. This is for you. When you, when, you, if you. when you step into the secret place of the Most High, that's the first step, and it might be the last step towards your victory over these things. Let me read you a quote real quick um, that I saw a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing this message, and I thought, man, this just lines up with what I'm talking about. So uh, this is, uh, Graham Cook says this, and he says, Prophecy will not do anything for you that worship couldn't do 100 times better. When we get into the place where I need some ministry, I need you to pray for me, I need this, I need that, at some point you have to step back and remember that what everyone really needs is the presence of the Lord. When you're getting into a place where you think that ministry is the biggest thing that you need, you're out of it. Every one of us needs to, be, needs to fully complete all the requirements for a great relationship with God. Look, here's what he's saying uh, in as simplest terms as possible. If you have gotten to a place in your life when you encounter trouble, uh, trials, panic, fear, whatever, and your first impulse is to go find somebody to pray for you, it's not that that's wrong to do. That's right to do. But if that's your first place to go, if that's the first place you run, you're probably not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Because what's happening is when you get into that place, that trouble, that trial, that attack, that fear, whatever, you're going and trying to find somebody that is dwelling in the secret place of the Most High and asking them to pray for you. But what God is saying to you is, why don't you just come in here and let me help you directly? It's like I say, it's not wrong to ask somebody to pray for you. That's right. That's in the Word of God. But our first response should always be to go directly to him. We should have this kind of a relationship with God that's so close, that's such a tight communion with him, that as soon as something rises up in our life, we are instantly in connection with God and the Holy Spirit. And he is telling us what to do. And he is giving us comfort. And he's giving us strength for whatever it is that we're facing. That's God's will. That's God's plan. 
So if we want to be able to do that, we have to understand what it means to dwell in the secret place. Uh, you know, because I don't want to just... I don't want to just throw a lot of scripture out there and assume that it makes the same amount of sense to everybody. So what does it mean to dwell in a secret place? Um, in the Hebrew, in the original uh, writing of this psalm, the word dwell is the word yashav, okay? And it's uh, Y-A-S-H-A-B, but the B is pronounced like a V, yashav. And what yashav means is to tarry, to remain, to stay, to continue, right? So obviously we're not talking about a short-term, one-time, quick thing. This is something that is an ongoing thing. In fact, if you back up several chapters in the, in the book of Psalms, Psalms 47.8 says this, God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. Did you know that that word sits in the Hebrew is the exact same word as he who dwells in the secret place? It's yashav. It's the same word. And so what that means is that as God remains on his throne, as God sits in his place of authority, power, majesty, in the same way, we are supposed to remain in the secret place of the Most High. It's the same concept. It's actually the same word. So that's just kind of driving the point home that that's something that is supposed to be ongoing. You know, you have a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you might have a, a morning routine, and I hope you do, where you get up and you take the first part of your day and you go to the Lord, you know, and you've probably got your your coffee and your Bible, and maybe you've got your journal, and, and maybe you're like super theological minded, and you've got your, your concordance and your commentary, and maybe, I don't know. But that time that you spent, as important as it is in the morning, is not this concept that we're talking about tonight of yashav, or dwelling, or remaining, or continuing in the secret place. It's, a, it's, it's kind of how you start the day, but it's not the idea of continuing in the secret place. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you've heard this before, says we're supposed to pray without ceasing, right? And I know that, you know, uh, when I was younger and I, and I heard somebody preaching on that, I was like, what is, how are you supposed to do that, you know? How are you supposed to just keep praying all day long, you know, from morning till night? That doesn't even make any sense. What does that mean? And then I heard somebody try to explain it one time and say, well, that means that's talking about the corporate body, that as a body, we're supposed to continually pray. So that might mean one person prays and then another person prays. And, and, and it, but you know what? It does mean for us to pray without ceasing. And there's a way to do that. And it's wrapped up in this idea of dwelling in the secret place. And so we need to find out what that means. Uh, part of the reason that we have such a hard time comprehending this or grasping this concept of staying in the presence of God is because we live in a culture, and I'm not talking about our American world, worldly culture or secular culture. I'm talking about our church culture. We live in an, an American church culture that is so infatuated with the idea of visitation, right? When God is interested in habitation, 
So we get wrapped up in what's the next conference? What's the next concert? Where's the next meeting going to be? Are you going to this thing? God's presence is going to be there. God, just visit us. Visit us, God. And God's saying, I don't want to visit you. I want to live with you. I want to be with you. It's like, imagine if I'm sitting at home with my wife next to her on the couch, and I'm just going on and on and on about, I just wish, oh, I just wish you could come and and be with me for a little bit. I just wish you could visit me here, you know, and and she's looking at me like, "I'm, I'm right here. Here I am. And so let me just make a statement to challenge your thinking a little bit in case it needs challenging. I am not desperate for God. Think about it. I am not desperate for God. I'm too busy enjoying his presence to be desperate for God. You're desperate for things that you don't have. You know, I'm desperate for a better job. That's because you don't have a better job. I'm desperate for a drink of water or something. Well, you don't have a drink of water. Yeah, you're desperate for it. We're not desperate. I'm not desperate for God. I'm too busy enjoying his presence. And that's what he wants. Listen, that's what he wants for you. That's his desire. That's his delight is to have a life together with you. So it's important to realize that real relationship with God, real relationship with God happens on a regular, consistent basis throughout the day. We have church services. You have your time in the morning. Those are great. Those are great times of focus. We experience the manifest presence of God in a special way. But that does not represent our real relationship with God. It might be an encounter with God that's special. But that's not the real relationship with God. That happens throughout the day. What if, just think about if you spent the day with your best friend and they went with you to your work, they went with you to the store, they went with you to whatever it is you're going to do, and they just hung out with you all day long and you just enjoyed them being with you. You might talk to them at times, you might be silent at times, but they'd be with you. If you saw something happen, you might talk to them and ask them what they thought about it. If you were struggling with something, you might talk to them about it and see what they had to say about it. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. That's it. And I think that we get so uh, conditioned to thinking that this is the relationship with God, and then we leave here, and then we come back here for more relationship with God, right? But that's not it. Dwell, dwell, tarry, remain. So uh, we got to pray without ceasing. But, to, but in order to pray without ceasing, you have to start at some point, right? So then that brings in uh, this idea of your morning routine. We talked about that just a second ago. So if you're going to spend the day with the Lord, if, you're go- if you and the Holy Spirit are going to spend the day together, you got to start at some spot, Right? And so for most of you, and I hope this is the case, you're, you're going to have something in the morning where you set aside time. Uh, some of us have more time than others. Uh, actually, that's not true. <laughs> we all have the same amount of time. Some of us make more time than others. I'll just be blunt. But we all have a spot where we can carve out time and spend time with God and start our day 
that way. And Jesus talks about this and how to do this. So let's look at this real quick. Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who sees in the secret place. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So this is why we have the door up here. I know you guys have all been just like burning with questions about this door. And I know I, I told the, the, the morning service it's, it's, it's set up so that Pastor Sean can make more of a dramatic entrance on uh, Sunday mornings. But no, it's actually not. It, this is just a, pretty much a standard closet door because that's probably what most of you use. You know, you have a room, you have a closet, you have somewhere where you can go and, uh, and be by yourself with the Lord, spend some time with him. Uh, for me, I have a place out in my backyard that I've knocked down the weeds and kind of created a little space where I can go, and there's nobody else back there but me and God. Pastor Sean goes out on prayer walks, and he's surrounded by cars and people all around, but he is alone with God, even though he's out there. And for him, for me, and for you, when we get into that place and it's us and God, we shut the door. And what's happening when you shut the door is you're taking all of those things that clamor for your attention and all those things that demand your focus and you're shutting the door and you're saying, no, this time is not for that. This time is for me and God, for me and the Holy Spirit. And I know that part of you recoils against that and says, no, 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 this time is for all that stuff because I've got all these things that I want God to take care of and I want God to heal this thing and provide this thing and fix this thing and restore it. No, that time is not for all your requests, all your needs. That time is for you and God. It's, time, it's the time for you to establish a connection with God, to make an intentional uh, connection with the Lord. Pastor Sean preached a couple weeks ago about starting off your day by saying, God, what are you doing today and how can I be a part of it? That's what this time is for. And so you start off in that place of prayer and you shut the door. Now, there is a point in time because we are not monks and we're not hermits that we have to leave that place and go out into the world and be normal people, right? But remember this, we are a three-part being. We are spirit, we're soul, and we're a body, right? I heard, it, I heard somebody put it this way one time, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And, uh, you know, just to kind of back that up with what the Word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. So here's why that's important. Here's why that's relevant. You have to leave that place of prayer to go to work, to go do whatever it is you've got to do. Um, and you're physically leaving the room, the backyard, the prayer walk, whatever it is. But there is your soul. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the part of you in, uh, <clears throat> in Romans 12, 2, where it says, 
Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are the things that need to be transformed, your mind and also your will and your emotions. And here's why. You need to stay in the secret place in your mind, your will, and your emotions and shut the door. And as you're going about your day, as you have physically left that place and you're going about your day and you're talking to people and you're interacting with people, your mind and your will and your emotions are shut away with God in the secret place. As you're going about your day and you are encountering hard times and bad stuff is happening because bad stuff is going to happen. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are shut away in the secret place with God. Because how many of you know if you let them out of that place and you open the door and you let them run wild, when you hit something bad, your mind and your will and your emotions can go in bad directions, right? They need to be shut up in the secret place with God. Even when you're having something good happening, even when you're celebrating and everything's right, your mind, your will, and your emotions should be shut away in the secret place with God. Remember, real relationship with God happens all throughout the day. A lot of times in small little pieces, 10-second to 20-second exchanges with God. And that only happens when you have shut the door and decided to stay in there in the secret place with God. So really, dwelling in the secret place is made up of two steps. And we just looked at them. But to kind of sum that up, Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And 1 Thessalonians five seventeen says, Pray without ceasing. So when you pray, in other words, when you start your day, go into this place, close the door, and then continue to pray throughout the day. Stay there. Dwell. Terry, remain, stay, Yashav. Now, like I said, dwelling in the secret place brings you security. Um, in fact, you know, maybe this is kind of a cheesy thing, but it will help you remember this. If you walk out of here and you're not sure which chapter we were talking about and you want to look it up, just remember this. Uh, Psalms 91.1 is God's 911. And when you have an emergency, you call 911. And really, when you have a need in your life, you need to remember Psalms 91.1. So Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. And then 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. But Jesus talks about the idea of abiding. Okay, so we talked about dwelling in the secret place. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about abiding in him. And uh, it's a really cool illustration that he uses. Um, he talks about how we are like the branch and he is like the vine or the tree. So imagine what would happen if you had like, let's say, an apple tree or something like that. And you go and you hack off a branch and you throw it in the street. Is that branch going to produce any more apples? Is it going to produce any more fruit? Of course not. No, it's not. It's not connected. It's not connected to the tree. The tree is where it gets its life. 
Its sustenance, everything that it needs flows from the tree. And Jesus is saying, just like that vine and that tree, you are connected into me and you receive everything you need. Your life flows through me. And if you don't abide, if you don't abide in me, you will not receive what you need to bear fruit. So let's look at what he says. Uh, Starting in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And by the word, the word word he's using, abide, is the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. And it's the exact same definition as the Hebrew word yashav. Terry, remain, stay, continue. He's talking about the exact same concept. So pick it up in verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now jump down to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father loves me, so also I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Okay, now here's why I bring this up, and here's why I think it's important to talk about this, because there is a real clear chain and a connection between this concept of abiding or dwelling, remaining, staying, and the idea of bearing fruit, glorifying God, and uh, fulfilling basically the commandment of the Lord. So look at what they say. Look at what he says. Uh, Number one, he says, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. That's pretty plain. Then by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Okay, so you abide in God, that means you're going to bear fruit. And if you bear fruit, that means you're glorifying the Father. Great. Then, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, great. That explains how we abide, by keeping God's commandments. And then the only last question that might still be there is, what are God's commandments? And so Jesus answers that question. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, abiding in God's love, it's all the same thing, is what brings our life significance and purpose. To me, it's pretty amazing to think about this one concept, this one simple idea of simply dwelling with God provides us both the security we need and the significance we need in life. And so... You can see how demonstrating the love of God to people is connected all the way back up to this idea of abiding. You can't abide without being someone who shows the love of God. And you can't glorify the Father unless you abide. And so, look, if you were to start your day out at 4 o'clock in the morning with your Bible and your commentary and your concordance and your dictionary and your journal and your worship music and your coffee and whatever else is you need to be a theological superpower. 
and you spend three hours seeking God. And then you go out from there and you refuse to show the love of God to anybody. That first three hours is pretty meaningless, right? And so we have to realize that keeping his commandments is how we abide. And his commandment is to love one another. God wants to love people. And the way he wants to love people is through you and me. And if you're interested in walking in step with the Holy Spirit, which is what we're talking about here, and I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit following you around. I'm talking about you following the Holy Spirit around. And if you're interested in that, in walking in step with the Holy Spirit, then you have to be interested in the things that he is interested in. And he is interested in loving people. That's what God's heart is. That's why I pray that for myself. God, let me see people the way you see people. Let me have the love for people that you have. Sometimes I'll pray this, God, give me a burden for the lost. Why would you pray that God would give you a burden, right? But I want that burden. I want to have the same feeling towards lost people that God has. And let me make a real bold statement that I'm going to stand behind because it's not me. It's what the Word of God says. But if you say you love God and you don't love people, you're deceiving yourself. That's what the Bible says. So we have to understand that loving people is the way that we abide in God, in Jesus. And it's by abiding in Jesus that we have significance and purpose in our life. Spending three hours studying the Bible does not give you any significance or purpose in your life. It's important, but that's not what brings significance. It's when you walk it out in love. Okay? So the choice is in our hands if we want to walk in the Spirit, if we want to dwell in the secret place, if we want to abide in Jesus. The choice is in our hands. You know, uh, that's a wonderful thing. We don't have to wonder about that. We determine the distance. We determine the distance. There is something in the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's a whole teaching in and of itself, and I'm not going to take the time to go into it in any real depth, but I want to kind of talk about it just briefly, that talks about the four circles of closeness with God, or you could say the four circles of intimacy with God. And so in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, it talks about how Moses brought the children of Israel to the mountain of God. And as they approached the mountain, the people, now this would be the outer circle. I wish I had an illustration that I made up with four concentric circles to kind of show you how this worked, but just kind of go there with me. The people, which is the outer circle, they approached the mountain, but they would not go up the mountain. They came up to the mountain, but they would not go up the mountain. They, it says, the Bible says that, it, that they saw the glory of God like a flame from afar. And so that's the outer circle of closeness. And then it says that Moses took Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders part of the way up the mountain. So this group of people, 
this 74 people, they went closer. They didn't just stay at the bottom of the mountain. They made it up a little ways, and they got closer to the presence of God. But then it says that Moses then took Joshua, and they went on up further, much closer. And Joshua was someone who decided he wanted to get closer to God than that, 70, that group of 70 elders and Nadab and Abihu. But then there's an inner circle where Moses even left Joshua and he went all the way up to the top of the mountain to where that scary fire was that nobody wanted to get close to. Moses ran to it because he had a desire to be as close to the presence of God as he possibly could. You see this in the New Testament too. Jesus, out of all these multitudes of people that were following him, had 70 that came forward and said, we want to follow you. We want to be taught by you. And he equipped them and he taught them and he sent them out two by two to declare the kingdom of God. But then among those 70, again, we're looking at circles of closeness to God. Among those 70, 12 emerged. And yet those are our 12 disciples, right? And these men got to see things that were amazing that the 70 didn't get to see. But even among the 12, Peter, James, and John emerged from the 12. And they got to see incredible things that the, that the 12 didn't get to see. They got to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood as he prayed because they were closer. But even among those three, the Bible says that there was a disciple whom Jesus loved. And this was the man that leaned against Jesus at the Last Supper. And so what's the point of all this? The point is you can be in the outer circle, the second circle, the third circle, or you can go for the inner circle. It's your choice. You determine the distance. It's up to you. God is no respecter of persons. God's not placing you in one of those circles with no hope of ever moving any closer to him. You determine the distance. James 4.8 says this, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. How much more simple can that be? It's another if-then statement. If you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. You determine the distance. Let me say this one thing as we close. And I want you to remember this. If you have to remember just one thing, remember this. You are at this present time as close to God as you choose to be. You are at this present time as close to God as you choose to be. I just don't feel like I'm as close to God as I should be. God, why can't I be close? You are as close to God as you choose to be. Because God is holding the door open for you to come into the secret place. He wants you in there more than you ever would want to be in there. That's his desire for you. That's his delight for you. That's why he created you, to be in that kind of a relationship with you. But he is never going to force you to go in there. You have to choose. You have to make that decision. And this message is not about some single moment where something happens. This is about my prayer that 
the Holy Spirit will draw you in a way that if you haven't already established this in your life, that you will begin starting now to have the type of a relationship with God that he wants you to have with him. And that doesn't mean I spent 15 minutes and I prayed and now I got to go out and face the day. No, take him with you. Follow him into your day. That's what he wants. That's what he desires for you. And if you're not doing that and you begin to do that, your life will change starting immediately. Things will get better like that. Because how could it not get better when the Holy Spirit is in partnership with you in everything you do? So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and uh, the band is going to do this song. And while the band plays this song, I want you to just open your heart. I want you to focus on the Lord. I want you to open your ears and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and kindle a desire inside of you for this type of a closeness, this type of a consistent relationship with him if you don't already have it. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We love you so much. And God, we say we want more of you than we have. Wherever we are, there can be more. Whatever we've got, it can be better. And you said in your word, that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And Lord, we are those who seek you right now. And God, I pray that you would light a fire in people tonight. I pray that you would open their eyes, give them a revelation of the type of life they could have if they would just partner with you and dwell in your secret place right now. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and speak to hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.